I realize your guys' show is for the lore, which seems like it actually for the lore, and it almost <laughs> works. <laughs> You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Joining Roger is Joe, writer from WoW Insider and World of Maticus, and Vince from Massive Nerd. There's guitar music playing. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 104 of For the Lore. Uh, of course, I'm not Roger, uh, the big guy. We're giving him a week off so that he can uh, heal his poor knees. Uh, so hoping that uh, he'll be back on his feet pretty soon. But that's all right. If Batman's way, Nightwing and, Nightwing and Robin got the job. Actually, what happened is he tried to fire Vince and I, so we decided to take it on our own. <laughs> And yet somehow the podcast will be edited and up on the website, no problem. <laughs> All right, well, today is a pretty big day for gaming. Huge, huge release came out today. And of course I'm talking about MLB 12, the show. No. <laughs> no, that, that, that's not the big one. Today we had Street Fighter Cross Tekken. No, no, that, that also came out today, though. All right, yeah, I'm obviously talking about Mass Effect 3 here. And uh, a brief moment of silence for poor, poor Emily Wong. For anybody who didn't uh, participate or even see it, BioWare had an admittedly really cool Twitter campaign going on leading up to the release of Mass Effect 3. They had an Alliance News Network uh, Twitter account set up that was, you know, throughout the week was just putting up random Mass Effect facts and news and stuff. And then starting on Monday, uh, poor reporter Emily Wong was doing a a War of the World style report of the Reaper invasion of Earth. And it was just really cool, especially when other fans started participating and role-playing as the Reaper invasion was hitting their hometowns. Overall, pretty damn cool. But you still don't care, right? Uh, I thought it was actually awesome. Like, I give them a lot of credit for the, their ad campaign up to the release, from everything from uh, the solo comms to uh, all the Twitter stuff, things like that. Um, it was really well done. I absolutely give them credit for that. Still not playing the game. All right. Well, as part of that uh, big media push, we finally got the launch trailer. Uh, It's definitely more of that trailer to grab the people who haven't heard of the game yet. Uh, I think the previous trailers did a much better job of really setting the mood, but this one was all like, hey, big action, stuff happening, play our game. But we also got a really cool uh, other trailer. Uh, It was a remake of the uh, Take Back Earth trailer with literal lyrics. And the links are going to be in the show notes. Check that one out because it was absolutely hilarious. See, I don't know. I didn't see it. Like, Roger sent that to me, right? And I'm sitting there, and he's like, this was absolutely hysterical. And I, I sat there, and I looked at it, and I watched it like two or three times. And I don't know if I've just been, like, literal videoed out or something like that. But it's kind of, like, cocked my head to the side. as like, okay. Well, remember, Roger's been on pain meds. 
but still, I, I, I really found it funny. Like, yeah, not like I wasn't crying tears of happiness like Roger was, but it was funny. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> definitely worth checking out, though. They put a lot of good, a lot of hard work into it. It's definitely a fun video. Okay. And all right, I saw this come up a couple weeks ago, but I didn't put it into the notes because I didn't really think much of it. But I know we're not going to get through this conversation without having an argument if I don't give you a bone to pick at. So uh, talk about the downloadable content price. <sighs> all right i'm not a big fan of the day one dlc i mean I've, I've been pretty vocal about that to begin with i don't like the fact that for those of us that are lore hounds it's a necessary purchase if you're going to play this game if you want to finish the story so we're talking about it and uh one of the things that came up was that if you wanted to get all of the dlcs for mass effect 3 it's going to cost you around 870 bucks i don't know about you but that's a ton of money I don't, I don't just have like $870 laying around. If I did, I'd put a down payment on a new car. But it, it basically includes all of the pre-order bonuses from everywhere, the collector's edition stuff, uh, the auxiliary purchases, such as the, IO, uh, the iOS game Mass Effect Infiltrator, uh, the day one DLC from Dust, uh, the Liara figurine, the Art of Mass Effect Universe book, um, the Mass Effect 3 toys, um, which uh, slightly randomized multiplayer unlockable DC. Uh, the Mass Effect 3 controller, which gave you a collector's assault rifle unlock. Uh, the Camara 5.1 headset, which gave you another assault rifle unlock. Mouse pad, messenger bag, iPhone case, mouse, and keyboard. Every single one of those purchases also gave you a DLC unlock. That's ridiculous. On the other hand, you can look at it as, hey, if you buy our cool Mass Effect merchandise, we'll give you some free guns in the game. True, but at the same point, I, mean, I didn't even realize there was that much attached to it. I mean, did you? I saw, like, okay, some action figures, okay, some Razor merchandise. But yeah, when you put it all in one place, <laughs> it is a bit like, wow. <laughs> it's just, it's staggering. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's great. It's brilliant marketing. And I mean, I will definitely support a uh, a company that knows well enough to say, hey, we're we're giving you all these extras and these peripherals. We're gonna give you some in-game stuff for for buying them. I mean, I would love to, you know, see something like that attached to like the StarCraft two or Diablo three mouse pad or you know keyboard or mouse and things like that. But this, I mean, I thought it was pretty cool, but that's a lot of money. Like just two hundred nine dollars for the headset. I mean, wow. Oh yeah. The price of game tie-in peripherals has gone off the charts over the last couple of years. So, like we saw it with the Old Republic, even the uh, what was it the World of Warcraft version of the Naga Mouse was more than a regular Naga Mouse. So it, it's, only by ten bucks, though. Yeah. So it, it, you know it started, and now yeah, it's it getting worse. <laughs> so I can only wait for a couple years from now when oh you want that uh, you know Halo Six uh, Xbox 360 controller two hundred fifty dollars. <laughs> it's common. But you'll get a new helmet in the game. And one in real life, too. <laughs> and we also had a cool article about the top ten things you didn't know about Mass Effect. Anything in here strike you as interesting? Not particularly, because, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but, like, a lot of this stuff... I, I already knew it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like... But then again, we're, we're kind of the lore nerds. This is what we do. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a really good, it's a really good read through, especially for anybody who's definitely jumping into the Mass Effect series. You may have heard us talk about Mass Effect 1 and Mass Effect 2 with fond memories and gushing, you know, hearts and stuff. But this gives you some really interesting points that you may not even realize, even if you go back and play those games, 
uh, especially if you're trying to rush through them to get to the Mass Effect 3. So the, it'll be posted in the show notes, but definitely go through, take a look at them. There's some really cool stuff in there, um, especially uh, the the number eight for me was kind of fun. That the fact that they spent a lot of time looking That's at hilarious. Fan art. <laughs> That's awesome. The reason Garrus was a romanceable option was because of all the deviant art fan art. <laughs> but it goes to prove. I mean, it's just proof of concept. You put your fan art out there, and people do pay attention. Developers do pay attention. That's a great point right there. So keep it up. They are watching. Mm-hmm. And just one other little point before we move on. Uh, we have this cool little uh, article about your shepherd's reputation and how instead of having a paragon and renegade, you know, dual force competing against each other, your paragon and renegade choices in Mass Effect 3 add up to a total reputation. So you don't always have to click on the red option if that's the kind of character you're playing to get the best outcomes. I love that, especially because, you know, the way I'm playing Star Wars The Old Republic is I'm not caring about the reputation gains. But in every other Bioware game, of course, I'm, I'm min-maxing my reputation game, so it's really nice to see that's not going to be necessary in this one. Well, it's exactly the same thing they are doing in Star Wars The Old Republic. It's the exact same reputation system. Uh, it, it's an average out, right? Like, you have all these points in the light side, all these points in dark side, and it gives you, you know, you're over under and you get to where you are. Yeah, but that that's more like one negating the other. These two are adding together to a cumulative score. To a different, but a little bit different. But yeah. they also, they have their own sort of... Oh, yeah, they're, they're, you're going to get some exclusive stuff from it as well. Now... The only criticism I've heard about this so far, though, is that the new system has some weird choices. Uh, I heard one person who was playing the game literally stop playing the game to comment over mumble. I swear to God, everything so far has been two choices, and it's either it's your fault or I don't blame you. And he was so confused. (laughs) And he looked back at his safe house. He's like, I guess that makes sense. I still don't understand what's going on. I was supposed to be a renegade. Why am I forgiving? <laughs> so the, you may have a little little weird parts at the start there, but yeah, no, like it, it's it's definitely a cool system. Yeah, UPS just dropped off my collector's edition an hour ago, and it's staring at me. <laughs> I, I I do have to put uh, one epic fail out there. For anybody who, like me or you or Roger or just about anybody else, has played the series through, continuing their characters from the first game to the end, there's a bit of a clusterfuck here. If you imported your character from Mass Effect 1 to Mass Effect 2, you were able to copy your character's appearance. Well, BioWare changed the coding of the facial structures in Mass Effect 2. So if you just copied the character over and did not make any tweaks whatsoever to your character, it did not save the face in the new code. So you can't copy that face over to Mass Effect 3. On top of that, a couple of the hairstyles and faces from Mass Effect 1 and 2 are no longer available and Mass Effect 3 as well. A lot of people were very bummed out about that when they were recreating their character, um, especially with the uh, traditional Femme Shep haircut, uh, I guess you say, uh, the sort of the bowl cut, it's gone. And a lot of people are really upset about this. So just kind of be aware when you get in there and start making your character creation. Uh, if you're doing it from scratch and you don't see something you might have had before, or if you import your character and you don't see what you had before, it might no longer be available. Yeah, I've seen some workarounds. Uh, Google it. But I, for, for any other game, I'd be like, so what's the big deal? But Mass Effect, you know, my Shepard. Oh, you're attached to that I, I, Yeah, I've become to that, so to that attached that if, if I can't recreate, you know, of course, one of them is just default Shepard because they're like, whatever, I want to play the game. <laughs> but if I can't recreate some of my other ones, uh, I'm going to be pissed. Oh, absolutely. 
All right. I mean, you go attach to that. You, you, yeah. It's years and years and years of playing that character at this point. I mean, I have personally at least 10 playthroughs on Mass Effect 2. And at that point, I'm super attached to importing that thing. That That's that's kind of important to me. All right. Well, we're going to keep with Bioware and move on to Star Wars The Old Republic. We got news of a new novel coming out. The uh, possibly last one from Duke Drew... Uh, Drew K, our buddy Drew K, because we can't pronounce his last name, because <laughs> as we know, he's, he, he's leaving Bioware to do his own things. He said he's still going to work on the novels, but we're going to at least get one more full novel out of him called Annihilation. And the uh, bit we got on it was Republic agent Theron Shan and his Twi'lek compadre Tefeth must contend with a Sith Empire counterattack against the Republic, spearheaded by the lethal apprentice of Darth Malgus. Satel Sean and Jace Malcolm co-star in what will be a fast-paced and tension-fraught tale based on the award-winning video game, blah, 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 blah. Now, that might not excite you too much, but um, Tefeth and Farron were the primary characters from the Lost Sons uh, comic series, which, if you listened to a feature I did a few episodes back, freaking awesome. Really great comic. Phenomenal. Oh, yeah. And not only that, Farron is Satel Sean's son, and... That itself, also a re- uh, distant relative of Revan and Bestela. So this is a big, you know, legacy sort of story that they got going on here. I'm looking forward to it, actually. I mean, I really enjoyed the Revan novel. I absolutely enjoyed the writing in the game all the way through uh, for the characters so far. I mean, anybody who's listened to the show knows that for a fact. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how sort of that story unfolds. I really, really enjoyed the comic books as well. And seeing them kind of brought into the literature is just absolutely awesome. I can't wait to get my hands on this book. And I'm I'm sure that Drew or Carpegian is going to be absolutely just pouring himself into this book. And I can't wait to see the end result. Yeah, really, really great stuff coming out of there. But the big thing this week was we had the Star Wars Guild Summit, where Bioware invited, what was like 200, I think, uh, guild leaders down to Austin for just an awesome little conference. And Which is unfortunate. I got invited yeah. but could not go. I, I think this is really cool. I mean, to me, this was so much more interesting than a BlizzCon because, yeah, there you've got thousands of people. This was much smaller. I really hope they can do this, you know, two, three times a year. Just invite a small group of really passionate fans to actually discuss what's going on instead of, you know, having some nerd walk up there and ask some stupid question that nobody cares about. Everything that we got here was really good discussion and really good information. Of course, the bulk of it was the legacy system, which we'll come back to. (laughs) Aside from legacy, what else stood out to you? I really like what they're doing with the UI customization. Um, That's a really big thing for me Uh, in any game I play. I hate default UI. Um, it's serviceable. It looked really well for an out of the out of the gate, um, you know, sort of of game. But I want to be able to move stuff around. I need to be able to move stuff around because it enhances my immersion into the game to have everything where I wanted to have everything properly placed. So that was a big thing for me. Also, the notification that they are going to be opening up the API for third party developers, I thought was kind of huge. Uh, because in that same fat, that's that, that same part, it's you know customizing the game in a way that makes it your own and your own experience. One thing I didn't like is that they're going to be putting in damage meters. I think games should probably stay away from that, especially in something like this. Star Wars is an awesome experience. The game is phenomenal without it. I could have 
lived and died without ever having meters in this game and been perfectly content. But that's one thing that I, I guess I'm in the minority of because people seem to cheer pretty loudly at that one. Yeah, I, some really nice stuff. Uh, additions to guild management, the role playing community, they're really bringing them into the game. Uh, PVP getting where a lot of people want it. One thing aside from Legacy that stood out for me was not really a change. They're just renaming the normal mode operations to be called story mode. Because as yes. as they say, you don't really need to gear up to do those operations. If you've got eight friends, well, seven friends plus yourself, of a proper level, or even less if you're really good with your companions, you, you just want to experience the story, you can do that. Like, I wasn't aware that I could just jump in to the operations without having to gear up for weeks ahead of time. Oh, absolutely. It was one of those things where um, uh, a bunch of the, my WoW guildies decided to make a raiding guild in Star Wars, rushed the 50, and got into operations, and immediately like, wow, this is, we're, we're done already. And it's like, I laughed at them because they didn't savor the story, mm -hmm. but it was it was that unexpected thing. Like People did not expect operations to be sort of that accessible, and the fact that they were was very pleasing. I was uh, very, very happy with that. And I like that they're calling it story mode because, well, that's going to make it more accessible to people who look at it at a glance. Mm -hmm. They can say, oh, it's story mode. Sweet. I can just go right in there. I don't have to worry about, you know, whatever. Um, on the same point, uh, they are getting an LFG system, a looking for group system, which I thought was phenomenal, too, because one of the things that is sort of daunting about the game is while well, you can do certain flashpoints with just your companion or just one other person, both your companions, you really want to have those that social interaction. Why? First of all, you get social points. Second of all, it's just fun. It's an MMO. You want to be able to play with other people at some point, hopefully. Otherwise, you're paying $15 a month for a single-player game, and who wants to do that? So A lot of people. Apparently. <laughs> but having an LFG system in there for people like you know us who may have two or three people but need to fill in the rest of an operation or, you know, fill in a spot for one of the, the flashpoints, especially some of the new flashpoints that are coming out. Um, that's that's great. It's a great addition. It's something that I'm really happy to see they're putting in. I wish it would have been in there from the start, but I understand the design limitations. Mm -hmm. And I, I also agree that I don't think an MMO should launch with an LFG system. You should give the community a chance to interact naturally without that extra system kind of hurting people along. Absolutely. All right. So, but it's, of course, the big thing, and it's what the patch 1.2 is titled, they're just flat out calling it Legacy, is the full implementation of the Legacy system. I was blown away. I don't know about you. I saw the Legacy system, my jaw dropped. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. My jaw was just like, I just, just to touch on some of the huge key points, if you reach level 50 on a character, Whatever species that character is, you now unlock that species for any class in the game. So if you're playing a Sith pureblood, a Sith warrior, you reach level 50, you can make a Sith pureblood Jedi Knight or a Sith pureblood smuggler. Mm -hmm. That's cool because they're like we, like we saw before, they're implementing that full family tree. And the tree is automatically going to be updated with each character you make on that server. And from there, you can customize the relations. And, oh my god, the gears in my head are turning already. Like, my Inquisitor and my Imperial Agent, they're rivals. They hate each other. They will kill each other on sight. But I also have my Trooper, who I've managed to tie in. It, it, this is so cool. 
Well, and, and we were talking about having that sort of cross-faction relationship to begin with, right? We were talking about how does one get one race to the other side? We have an answer, and it's awesome. I mean, the idea of, I mean, even though I'm playing a lowly human, uh, but the idea of having, like, you know, a, a chiss on the other side of the fence, so to speak, it's just awesome. Or having the Sith pureblood being able to be a Jedi and being able to sort of live out those those sort of, I guess, fanboy fantasies here uh it's just absolutely awesome and i can't wait all right beyond that once you complete act two of your class story you'll unlock some cool emotes and stuff but the big thing is your buff will now carry over to other classes so if you get your bounty hunter past act two and you start up your smuggler your smuggler when he applies his class buff will get the smuggler buff and the bounty hunter buff so for each character you level through the game your overall family becomes that much more powerful. Which is interesting and rewarding, and it's a way to reward players further for uh, progressing through the game as a different class. So I think it's awesome. And also without being unbalanced, because you get into a group situation, well, you know, your class buff, you might be able to provide a missing buff, but you're not going to be that much noticeably stronger in a group or PvP environment, which that's, that's a pretty smart way to do it. I agree. And then the huge one, finish chapter three, and you unlock heroic abilities. What this means is, again, let's say you level your Sith Warrior, you complete Act 3. Now you start up your Imperial Agent. Your Imperial Agent can force choke bitches. Yes! (laughs) This was phenomenal to me. Being able to see different abilities carry over to a different class. Hello! That's just... Awesome. No other game offers that, period. No other game offers that right now. And to see something like that implemented, fantastic. I can't wait. Like, it makes me want to, I don't want to say rush my level, but I'm really excited for leveling to see what carries over for everything now, you know? Yeah. And another one that I found really cool was the companion stuff, where if you max out your affection with a companion, that's going to carry over as well, though in a different way. Uh, Like, let's say you are playing a Jedi Knight, and you max out your affection with two VR8. How do you max out affection with a robot? I don't know. But let's say you do. (laughs) Bring lots of oil. And since two VR8 is classified as a melee tank, every melee tank companion you have across all characters, like let's say Kem Val, gain a bonus be it uh, better cooldowns on your big heroic moment ability or small uh, crafting bonuses. How do they come up with this stuff? <laughs> they hire a bunch of people to sit in a room like us. Why they didn't hire us, I don't know. They I, should say, I, I could have thought of that, I'm sure. And they just they just feed them Mountain Dew and sugar, and this is what comes <laughs> out. I mean, this, this is it. This is... This is what happens from the crackhead old mind of like gamers. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Don't get me wrong. It's absolutely awesome. But you ask, what if I don't want to make alts? I'm that guy that levels one character to level cap and then just goes balls out on that one character. Why can't I get any of this cool stuff? Well, friend, you can. Since you have that one character that you're spending so much time on, odds are you have crap tons of money and nothing to spend it on. They have said that many of the legacy rewards... Uh, not so many when it first rolls out, but it'll expand over time. You can just flat out buy. I like that. I don't care about that, but I like that. It's rewarding, again, like you said, for the people that maybe don't really want to you know, invest time in an alt and they put all their time into a main and don't really want to go anywhere else. 
it's good for them. Do I am I going to make use of it? Mm, I don't know. Maybe. Probably not. Probably not. All my characters are dirt broke anyway. Alt! Well, I have like 500,000 <laughs> or something stupid like that now, but still, you know. And one of my big ones is the ship droid. How awesome is that little repair droid? Dude, anything that involves droids in the Star Wars universe better be awesome, and this one is. Yeah, not only is he just, you know, your typical vendor that's on a ship, so you don't have to go into freaking town to sell off your crap. All the time. Yeah. But he sells special items. Uh, core parts for your 2VR8 or what's his face c2n2 that in addition to you know being normal equipment for him because really who picks those quest rewards will enhance their crafting ability because that's all the knucklehead is good for so we might as well buff that up and not only that he sells a freaking restrictor plug so you can shut the stupid thing up <laughs> <laughs> it's about time yeah 2vr8 isn't that bad but my god c2n2 Oh, <laughs> a little, a little bad. Going to get thrown out in airlock one of these days. There's a handy dandy escape pod right there. <laughs> so all together from the, the, the summit, anything else uh, you got up? Interesting. Uh, new gear, uh, new mini pets. I thought was kind of awesome mm -hmm. because I like the mini pets. I, I don't, I've always liked the mini pets. Um, but seeing some of the cooler ones like that, like the, uh, that looks like a, what is that? A miniature Tauntaun? Yeah. Was absolutely hysterical. I want one. I want a miniature Tauntaun. So, just, I absolutely loved this little event. It, I think it probably should have been done on a weekend instead of a Monday, but whatever. But I really hope Bioware does more of these and not just annually. Oh, and let's not forget that all these changes that we're talking about, patch 1.2, they said will be coming in early April. Yeah. So, it, it's, we're not talking about soon here. <laughs> No, not soon, TM, yeah, but actually this, soon. This, this is Webster's definition, soon. <laughs> All right, moving away from there. This cool little game you found called the Banner Saga. I hadn't heard about this. Um, yeah, basically, it's a bunch of employees left Bioware to form their own company, Stoic. We've heard it before. Um, all the a lot of indie games are made up from people that were formerly with other people, Bastion, for, with former people from EA. Um, it was... Curious to see what they'd be able to produce on their own with a much smaller budget. Uh, here we're getting what's called the Banner Saga. It's a turn-based RPG, which is a favorite of mine, of course. And it has a rich background. It's got very cartoon style, um, which is something you don't see nearly enough of, um, even though it has a serious theme. So it's got that sort of juxtaposition. And it just looks like it's going to be absolutely ridiculously fun. Um, the video will be in the uh, show notes for it, so by all means, check it out. Um, I don't know. It just looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. I love the art style. And then even just barely, they threw in that little Bioware moment to, to you know, <laughs> showing their roots. But it could be really interesting. I do have a couple possible issues, though. I mean, it looks like a really fun tactical RPG my issue is, over the last several years, tactical RPGs have gone so complicated, they, they're, they're almost inaccessible. Just because they're trying to keep that difficulty curve on par with player skill, and the only way to do that is just to come up with these ridiculously complex systems. That's why a lot of tactical RPG games I've played over the last couple of years, regardless of how much I liked the world, like the characters, like the story, I didn't like actually playing it. So I hope they can 
find that good balance without going too far. I, I don't think we're going to have that much of a problem with it simply because of the budget, really. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not going to really be able to develop uh, an entire game system or game platform all on their own. So they're going to be using an engine that's probably already well-established, right? And with that in mind, I don't think we're going to see an overly complicated RPG because I think a lot of people share that same sentiment. They don't want it to be super overly complicated. They want to enjoy it. Games like Final Fantasy Tactics were phenomenally received for a reason right they were simple they were good they had great story great mechanics i can totally see the banner saga doing that as well and then also i just got to say while i get it i understand how it fits the title's really not doing anything for me every time i see it i think it's an incredible hulk (laughs) storyline you never know he might be a downloadable character later on Hulk smash in four turns. <laughs> oh, damn. Now I want that game. <laughs> All right. And then we got our first news of the first Reckoning downloadable content, The Legend of Dead Kel. How can you make a really deep, awesome world like Amalur even better? Add zombie pirates. Why not? Zombie pirates are an integral part of every fantasy story. Absolutely. I really don't think I need to say anymore, do I? Uh, aside from the fact that it's going to be a $10 uh, downloadable content, it's going to cost you, well, like I said, either $10 on Steam, uh, Origin, and PSN, or 800 Microsoft points. Um, it's also going to have new faction quests, rewards, armor, everything that you could possibly need to fight the zombie hordes. And forget a stinking little house that you get in the stupid spider area or elsewhere. You have an entire keep that you can claim at the end of this to upgrade that that's cool hey i mean everybody wants a castle i mean skyrim i got a house that was a nice house don't get me wrong but i get a castle here (laughs) yeah i still had this stupid tiny house in white run i didn't feel like moving out (laughs) i spent too much time organizing my books how much of reckoning have you played um not as much as I would really have liked to. I have been kind of sort of busy with real life. But since I won't be playing Mass Effect, I plan on dumping a whole lot of time into it. Because <laughs> like, uh, we also have this nice little uh, detail of all the various factions in the game. Have you finished or even started any of them? Um, no, I haven't finished any of them. Okay. Started, sure. Ballads, <laughs> Travelers, Warsworn, uh, Scullier Arcana. Uh, I've started them, nowhere near finished. Yeah, uh, House of Ballads you can actually finish relatively early on. Uh, that one's pretty much in just those little starter areas. Still really love that one. But this past weekend, I put a lot of time focusing on the actual factions. Uh, I'm up to about 40 hours now, and I'm possibly a little less than halfway through the game. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't even crossed the ocean yet. <laughs> and there's there's an entire other continent over there i got to deal with. So good. Yeah, I did uh, the House of Valor. I completed that one. That's the uh, online pass shenanigans one. The actual questing there isn't that interesting. It's just a big arena. Uh, The story is kind of okay. That's one of those ones where once you finish it and you gain access to everything and you can start reading through the journals and the diaries and reading the story behind the House of Valor, it was so cool. I... Definitely read the books once you're done with it, because playing through it, it was like, oh, okay, whatever, give me my experience and loot. But afterwards, I really gained a new appreciation for it. 
the Warsworn, really digging that one, like where that story's going. Scolia Arcana hasn't really done much of anything yet. Travelers is just starting to get interesting, um, and I haven't even gotten to the House of Sorrows yet, but I really have to give it to them. The factions in this game are so unique and so interesting, they knocked it out of the park. Oh, they're they're infinitely better than any other factions that I've seen in any other game. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I enjoyed Skyrim's factions, but they were pretty linear. You did quests, you got a reward. You did quests, you got a reward. You didn't really, aside from turning into a werewolf in one of them, I didn't really get much that was really super interesting. And then I look at these. And these are just... But there's no werewolves. There's no werewolves. No, there's a werewolf. There is a werewolf oh. early in the game. Oh, yeah, but he's not a faction. Doesn't matter. He oh, still, yeah. he's, you know, he comes back later. Don't worry. Um, but, you know... It, the factions actually have personality. They have quirks. They have political interests. They're not just there for vehicles for the character. They have their own machinations going on. And I think that's really one of the important things about the world that, that really sets kingdoms of Amalur uh, apart really is that the world itself feels like even if you, the player weren't in it, it would still propel itself forward. Mm Mm-hmm absolutely loving that game can't wait to see more coming up because you know there's more oh yeah it's ra salvatore there's always more he wrote ten thousand years of history we get to see <laughs> a small fat a small fraction of that in this game Ten thousand years of history <laughs> all right well another absolutely amazing game that we can't play yet is guild wars 2 we got some really really cool articles this week really delving into all of the the behind the scenes, the numbers stuff, the, your skills, your traits. I, I my I, my eyes crossed, but in a good way. <laughs> I I, I kind of like the skill calculator. I thought that was kind of interesting. Very handy. Very handy. Um, one thing I definitely enjoyed more than anything else, I think, would have to be uh, when they started talking about crafting and showing the interface for mm-hmm. it. Actually, um, because I did get to play Guild Wars last year. Um, a little bit, but the crafting hadn't been implemented. Not like this. The interface is drastically improved. Um, everything about it is easier. It's more accessible. It actually makes it so that it's not something that you're just going to do later on. It, it's sort of something you can dive in through as you're progressing through the game world, which is really important because when it comes to like games, like even Star Wars, I hate a lot of the crafting. Yes, I don't have to do it because I just send my guys out, but I find that's kind of boring. I thought I was going to love it. I don't. This, I'm still involved. I'm still making choices. I'm still doing it myself. And I get some really wickedly cool things. Definitely gives the feeling of you're actually making something. You're not just clicking buttons. But what I found cool in this video that we had here, even when you're clicking buttons, okay, if you're making 50 copper bars you're not going to have to sit there for 53 second intervals from at least from what I could tell the more of an item that you're crafting at once, it speeds up exponentially. So you're not stuck there for an hour and a half staring at a stupid bar going across the screen. Well, and that's one of the first things they show up and it was the copper bar. That was a perfect example, low level metal that everybody comes across. You need it in a bar form. The person made like a hundred of them in the video and you see them rapid succession completion. That makes perfect sense to me. Why? You're you're easing up the crafting system without ruining sort of immersion, right? Mm-hmm. Perfectly makes me perfectly happy. 
Yeah. For when I first watched it, I thought they sped up the video. I had to stop and like really pay attention. Like, no, that guy in the background still moving at normal speed. That's mm-hmm. freaking cool because that's my big hang up. Not big hang up, but that's one of my biggest disappointments with Terra right now. With that crafting system is so old school with you know the bars and sitting there. And not only that, it's it's not very rewarding. I am my weapon smithing was level fifty something, and all I'd made so far was bars. I hadn't actually made a weapon yet. <laughs> I really like just how much choice they're putting into actually leveling up your characters. How if you put points into this certain skill, it's going to affect other stats. And yeah, sure, you have all these weapons you can choose from, but you can customize it even more from there. Like I was looking at, I was tinkering around with a Mesmer the other night. Like, okay, my Mesmer, he's going to have a great sword and then also a one-handed sword and a pistol. And then I was looking at what traits went along with that stuff about illusion, stuff about melee damage. I love it because it it allows you to craft a character that is unique to you, which is not seen that often in MMOs at all. And I think this system gets closest to breaking away from the cookie cutter than any other game so far. And as somebody who's actually gotten the hands-on with the system, I can really tell you it sounds a lot clumsier than it is. It's actually very streamlined. It's very, very easy to maneuver. Swapping weapons and weapon loadouts is quick. It's painless. You can do it on the fly. And you get the feel of, in the middle of combat, swapping from, like, a sword to a pistol, per se. You know, and and having sort of that varying toolkit and being able to adapt on the fly. And it makes boss battles a lot more fun. Let me tell you, the very first time I fought the giant frost worm in the middle of the, uh, the Norn Keep... And I'm sitting there, I'm like, well, I'm a, I'm a rogue, and, oh, crap, I have a sword. I have a, I have a, I have a pistol somewhere. And I see my character tuck the sword away, pull off the pistol in a fluid animation. My bars roll over, completely different for me. I went from getting housed to actually being able to do something useful. All of the characters are going to have that option. You're going to be able to customize your character so that you can, you know, fluidly adapt into any situation, but also make it so that it's your character. And... It's a phenomenal system. I don't think people give it nearly enough credit. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're going to move away from there. What is up with this Baldur's Gate? <laughs> I need to know. Okay. So Baldur's Gate is one of those games that everybody who's been ever a fan of D&D has played. If you've been a fan of RPGs, you've played it at some point. Well, Even if you then, weren't, like myself, you yeah. did, and it got you more interested in that other stuff. They were phenomenal games. Well, more Baldur's Gate 1 than Baldur's Gate 2, but still, uh, Baldur's Gate is an iconic game, and that's really kind of the, the important thing. It's an iconic game. People watch the websites, anything that has to do with Baldur's <laughs> Gate, like a freaking hawk. Who has it this is... website in their in their bookmark still? <laughs> you want to know? One of my real-life friends... <laughs> has it still on a bookmark and he's had it there for 20 years. <laughs> so, but the, the the actual Baldur's Gate website has a new teaser. Um, basically it's the traditional Baldur's Gate symbol with new with new music uh, and ominous text. Uh, basically it is speculation flowing out of everywhere that we're going to get a new Baldur's Gate game. I don't know about you, I'm excited. I, if, the, if a, there's a new Baldur's Gate game dropping, I'm taking that week off and you will not hear from me. I will sit there with turn-based combat, give me my D&D, give me my Dwarf Warriors, give me my Paladins, my Clerics, give me Minsk, and I'm happy. 
So please make this happen, because I would love to go an entire week without hearing from Joe. Oh. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Did I, did I hurt your feeling? Hey. <laughs> All right, and we also had some cool stuff about Lord of the Rings Online. And I gotta say, I've had this freaking game sitting on my hard drive for like a year now. I still haven't played it. <laughs> you see, and it's a game that I actually really enjoy. And Turbine does free-to-play MMOs really, really well. They deliver a lot of content with very little cost to the end user. Yes, it'll cost you like 25 points or 25 bucks to buy, you know, an expansion. But in that expansion, you're getting so much. And this is no different. This is the Great River. The Great River update, which is going to be coming very, very soon. Uh, and by turbine speed, we're talking probably about maybe 60 days tops. Um, it's going to add a completely new zone, a new reputation faction, and it is going to give you the home of the very first Rohirrim settlement, Stengard. Um, it's also going to be ripe with class changes. Uh, basically, it's a huge content patch. It's going to be available for the standard upgrade price that they've been doing for all the new content. And it's giving you a lot of lore. Like you're One of the cool things about the game is it's the parallel story to the actual Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship. The Fellowship, sometimes you intersect with them, sometimes you don't. But you're an adventuring party or you're an adventurer that's operating on the outside, on the skirts. You're not that main story. This gives you some of the places that the main story didn't get that were so vibrant and rich and like just in the lore of the world were just phenomenal to visit. And this is one of those places. It's just, I, I don't know about you, uh, you, but I, you said you haven't played it. I'm excited for this. I do bounce into it. I bounce into it pretty regularly. And this is something that I will definitely be purchasing the upgrade. I've definitely been interested in it and I definitely want to play, but um, there's only one of me. Sorry. <laughs> I know ladies of the world are dying right now. Mm -hmm. All right. We also got some cool stuff about Borderlands 2. And they announced, Gearbox Software announced, that the PC version of the game will be a Steamworks game, which isn't really big news for a non-EA game unless we're talking Borderlands, because I don't know about you, but I never once got a multiplayer game of the original Borderlands to work. I did, after I hacked the shit out of the system. <laughs> you, you did your router voodoo? <laughs> no, 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 no. I actually had to use a third-party matchmaking system in order to get multiplayer to work on uh, the first one. Because, I'm sorry, GameSpy sucks. And I'll say that right now, GameSpy sucks. GameSpy so, was yeah. obsolete a decade ago. <laughs> yeah, when I first loaded up uh, loaded up like you know, Borderlands and I went to go play with my friends, I'm like, did I go back in time? Is this 1994? <laughs> Am I going to be playing Duke Nukem next? What the hell's going on here? <laughs> and, and this, though, makes so much more sense. They want to make the multiplayer more accessible. They've done a great thing in this. Yeah, because I initially picked up Borderlands for PC, which, if anybody knows me, is a big thing for me because I don't play that many non-MMOs on PC. I just don't. We're not going to get into that. So I was like, cool, I can play with all my friends. No, I can't. But I mean, that's okay, because oh, it's, the game's still going to be fun. No, it's broken, and the console patch was released a month ago, and I still can't play my class properly. And it, it just, their handling of the PC version of the original Borderlands really kind of threw me off the game altogether until I picked it up on a great sale for 360, which reignited my love for the game. So we'll see how this one works. 
And we also had a cool video about uh, co-op gameplay. Uh, what did you get out of this one? That I'm going to be playing the hell out of the Maya. That's that's what I got out of it. We're going to have to do a rock, paper, scissors or something over who gets Maya. Mm. Well, I have a backup. I will definitely do the Gunzerker as my backup. <laughs> and I, I wouldn't mind uh, Zero as well. It, it, if they can implement him better than they did uh, Lilith with her... Uh, stealth melee then uh, i think zero could be pretty interesting especially in a game that features guns oh yeah absolutely i also think that it's kind of uh important to see the multiplayer it looks like it's much more dynamic now than it was before where before it was just point and click and shoot it looks like there's going to be a little more interplay between the abilities um there's going to be a little more interaction between the character classes in general which makes me really really happy um, one of the things that we've been looking at in other games is that you can combine your abilities and powers. There's hint that that might happen here. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, in a week that featured Mass Effect and a Star Wars conference, I got to say, at least for me, the biggest news so far was Assassin's Creed 3. Oh, my God. I jumped out of my seat when I <laughs> not only when I got the final release date for it. But the video. Did you see the announcement trailer? Oh my god. The sick. <laughs> Dude, okay. A lot of people have been uh, Assassin's Creed 3 is going to take on uh, an entire new character. Um it's going to take place during the oh, American come on, you're not Revolution. Pronounce his name? No, hell no. <laughs> he goes by the nickname you... Connor. <laughs> yes, we can go by the name Connor, that's fine. Um but you're basically thrust in the middle of the, the, the Civil War. And it's the Battle of the... I'm Absolutely. sorry, the uh, Revolution, not the Civil War. The Revolution. Um, and it's the the war spilling over between continents at this point. We've been in Europe for, you know, three, four, five games so far. We're finally moving off. We're getting into American history. And I find it interesting because there's actually been some outcry about this. I don't know if you saw this. I, I've heard people saying there is, but I haven't actually seen any. <laughs> a lot of people, apparently a lot of gamers in the UK are taking offense to this game because it depicts the British as evil. So it's okay to kill Italians and it's okay to kill, you know, Romans. But once we start killing British people, it, suddenly the game turns wrong. <laughs> apparently. Um, but... I'm, I personally we killed wait. the freaking pope. <laughs> yes, we murdered the pope. We didn't kill him. We murdered him. We made him our prison bitch. And that's okay. Nobody had really an outcry about that. Even the Catholic Church didn't even say anything. <laughs> but the minute you say, oh, yeah, you know, it's the blue coats versus the red coats. Everyone's like, oh, my God, this is horrible. Oh. Get over it. It happened. I'm sorry. You were a colonial power. You We weren't at war with you. One side has to be, you know, evil. Are you saying that you wanted to still have the Americas? Probably, but too bad, so sad. Because we had a kick-ass assassin on our side. <laughs> Honestly, were you not expecting this at some point from a company that's oh. primarily owned by French people? It was going to happen. It was absolutely <laughs> going to happen. But I, I love Connor. <laughs> because, as we've seen, he's half Native American, half European. So it kind of has to make sense with the whole lineage and Desmond and all that. So, okay. But I just love his look. The, his new yes. assassin's cloak is awesome. The long bow and the, 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 the tomahawk. I had a friend who was like, Oh, how, how are you going to play Assassin's Creed three in colonial America? You know, there's no huge towers to climb. There's no <laughs> base. Oh, <laughs> bay everywhere. 
Yeah, I, I told him quite simply, go watch The Patriot and imagine playing a game as Mel Gibson. <laughs> because <laughs> that's exactly what this is. Flitting through the trees, you know, jumping from branch to branch, hiding and ambushing from ditches and so much more that, yeah, you're going to have to probably think a little differently this time around. You can't just, you know, hide in the hay. <laughs> so I, I, I love how much of a huge step this is over the previous Assassin's Creed games. Well, I think one of the other things, too, and we're talking about the combat in general, uh, you're looking at tactics that Connor is going to be using that were actual tactics that the Americans were cited with using during that time frame, too. Like, during that war, how they how they had to change their tactics are ones that he's employing. Also, he's got some damn cool weapons. I'm sorry. That Tomahawk is awesome. The fact that it is the assassin symbol is just ridiculous. I didn't um, even see that. It is. It's the assassin symbol. Oh, my God. Symbol. Take a look at it. And somebody has already made an actual real-life replica of this Tomahawk. I will be probably following suit. It is. That is freaking cool. <laughs> so it's it's... From what we've seen so far, it's absolutely phenomenal. We have an idea of where it's going to take place thanks to the ending of the most recent game. And if you haven't finished it yet, too bad, so sad. The postmortem's out on this one, guys, because it's been long enough. But it takes place in actual upstate New York, it looks like, the area-wise, because that's the area centered around the first civilization. Or at least it's going to lead you there. It's going to have some involvement there. So we have an idea of what's going on at that point, at least. So I think that's kind of cool because you have an idea of an actual place. And for me, because I live in New York State, it's awesome. Now, I'm just going to throw this out there because at this point, Assassin's Creed has become conspiracy theorist central. Who's necessarily to say that the Americans are the good guys? Because if I'm remembering correctly, uh, a lot of those weird uh, you know, puzzle segments we had during uh, Ezio games... I almost clearly remember something in the Templar messages, you know, their their logbooks and their diaries about how they were happy to finally set up a colony free of European control to finally do what they wanted. Oh, yes. But don't forget, there were thir I mean, it's 13 individual colonies at that point. Right. So you got to it's kind of curious to see which one. Or mm -hmm. which ones were the ones that the Templars had influence over? I, I think it be, could be very interesting if you have three factions at work here. You have the Americans, you have the British, and you have the Templars. I, I, I would give untold amounts of respect to Ubisoft if you were actually killing off Americans and British uh, high-ranking officials in this game. I think it's going to happen. And you know what? From the multicultural team that has brought us all these other ones beforehand, I fully expect equal killing across yeah. all boards. And, and let, let's be honest here. It's not like he's going to be shanking Ben Franklin. I mean, they, they have to remain at least historically accurate. So your founding fathers are safe. Benedict Arnold, though, is freaking done. <laughs> all right. Uh, quickly moving through here now. Bioshock Infinite. When's it coming out? October 16th. Um, we finally got an official release date. Uh, GameStop and other places are already taking pre-orders for it. Um, it's coming, folks. I mean, there's really not much else to say. Uh, the We found out that the PlayStation 3 version will have move support. Um, a little curious how that's going to work because it could be like how they did that Sorcerer game for the move, especially with all the different powers. <laughs> um, but we'll see. Uh, I 
really can't wait to see this one because as I loved Bioshock 1. Eh, Bioshock 2 was okay, but Bioshock Infinite, I think this is my happy space. Here's the problem, though. Remember how excited we were a couple weeks ago when they announced that Assassin's Creed 3 was coming out on, like, October 30th? Uh-huh. Damn it. <laughs> what? Okay, this is October 16th. We have two weeks. It's fine. You have two weeks to beat this game. All right. You can do it. We're, we're not all like you. The rest of us sleep. <laughs> Screw sleep. The story is what's important here. <laughs> I don't know. Sleep. I, I think if you go no, too long sleep-deprived playing Bioshock and Assassin's Creed, that could start messing up your everyday life. Well, there is a church right across the street from me with an awesome bell tower. <laughs> All right, you know what? While we're talking about awesome bell towers, I'm actually going to skip ahead here. And we're going to talk about Gotham by Gaslight. I saw this pop up a while ago, but it was just a couple screenshots of like a UI. And I was like, okay, it's a cool concept. And then we got this video. I really want this game. Gotham by Gaslight was a pitch uh, that uh, Day One Studios... Uh, developers of Fear 3 and, and other games that I've never played. They made this pitch to based on a DC Comics Elseworlds graphic novel. And as I've got on record many times, I like every DC story that doesn't occur in the DC universe. Where Batman was set back in 19th century London hunting Jack the Ripper. Which what? is such a cool concept. <laughs> yeah, but let's take it a step further. It's not just the fact that Batman is hunting Jack the Ripper. It's steampunk Batman hunting Jack the Ripper. <laughs> Let me say that again for you folks. Steampunk Batman. Yes. And when, like I said, I saw the concept art and I was like, okay, it could have been cool. But then I saw this video and him wearing that awesome cloak and just yes. the foggy streets of London. I can't think of a better setting for Batman. I, uh, it's perfect. And the only thing like people are like, oh, well, now that, you know, the Arkham Asylum games have become such a hit, we, you know, they can go back to this. But I don't know if it would work because any other Batman game coming out right now, the general populace would view it as kind of biting off the Arkham games, like, you know, trying to ride their coattails, regardless of how cool it is. I, let's face it, regular Batman appeals to a lot more people than steampunk Batman. Yes, however, there is enough of a subsect of people that I think it would still be phenomenal. Yeah. You, you don't have to go huge. Give us a really nice Xbox Live game. Or, or, you know, you don't have to put out a $40 million game. Just put out a game, because I'll buy it. Oh, I'll have it day one. There's no question about it. <laughs> All right. Uh, cup, wrapping up, we got a couple other quick games here. I Am Alive came out with a really cool uh, developer diary. It's a game I talked about a while ago. Unfortunately, it comes out tomorrow, which means I ain't playing it anytime soon. <laughs> but I just really like how they're describing so many of the systems in this game. How whenever you meet somebody in the world, it's you know it's your post-apocalyptic survival game. But it's not about smashing zombies in the head. It's more about actually surviving. You're not going to have a lot of ammo. You're not going to have a lot of supplies. So you're going to have to, at some point, run into people. Well, you don't know if those people are going to hide. You don't know if those people are going to attack you. You're going to approach all these situations with all these options, and you're going to have to think your way out of it instead of shooting your way out of it. Beyond that, uh, I, I also thought it was really cool how um, 
they showed that at some points you're going to meet friendly people and yes. they'll have very important information for you. Oh, wh where you can find some ammunition or a shortcut to get back to your family, but they'll want something in return. You know, they'll need some of your supplies and you'll really have to make that decision of, man, can I make it to the next safe area without these cans of food or without these medical supplies? If this game was coming out at any other time, I would be really excited for it. Though my track record for indie downloadable games uh, isn't too good after that uh, Amy fiasco. <laughs> but it's still something to look forward to. If you're not playing Mass Effect 3, for whatever reason, this might be a fun little uh, side adventure. We also saw this new... God. Another Korean MMO... <laughs> Yeah, I, this was not me. All right, so it's called Bless, and I have to admit, I like the aesthetic here because it's your traditional interpretation of Korean fantasy with really out-there character designs, but rendered in a more... I don't want to say realistic, but it's really the best word I can come up with. Uh, it's a little darker, it's a little dirtier, it's not bright and flashy like Terra, but it still has that sense of style to it. It also has the most gratuitous ass shot in the history of video games. In oh, this that's trailer. not the most gratuitous ass shot in the history of all I, games. I don't it's know. close. It's up there, at least. It's up there. It's in the top ten. It, there, there's definitely a lot of cool stuff uh, to look at here, but again, I've been hurt so many times <laughs> by Korean games. Why do you hurt me, Korean MMOs? Why? <laughs> because every single one of them looks amazing, and you really want to get your hands on it until you get your hands on it. <laughs> it's something to be aware of. It's something to keep your eyes on because, again, just like any other Korean MMO concept, it could really work. Yes, it could, potentially, maybe, hopefully. All right, and then finally, uh, you're the Silent Hill fan around here, so I'm sure you're pretty interested in this HD collection. This is absolutely phenomenal for anybody who is a fan of the series, and yes, I am that fan. Uh, we are getting the uh, a release date for basically the latest batch of Silent Hill games, not just Silent Hill HD collection, which is going to be absolutely amazing. And I will own it because it'll be Silent Hill one and two. Uh, but it'll also have, uh, there's also Silent Hill downpour, the water themed game for the PS3 and Xbox 360, which will be released on March 13th. Um, it's basically all everything you want with aquatic death at every corner. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just kind of got a picture in my head of Pyramid Head going through the tubes like Napoleon in Bill and Ted. <laughs> yes. Continue. That may also be the plot for Bill and Ted 3. We'll get to that <laughs> later. Uh, we have the Silent Hill HD collection, which – I'm sorry, second and third games in the series, which will be out on March 20th. And the PS Vita is also getting a game later this month called Silent Hill Book of Memories. Um, it looks like it might be a mix between some of the classic adventure games we've seen with Silent Hill with some new twists. Uncertain, not much is really, really known about it yet. So we'll see what happens when it gets released uh, later this month. All right. I, I, I personally, I haven't played a Silent Hill game since Silent Hill 3. So <laughs> I don't know. Like, they I've just heard so many bad things about so many of the games over the last few years. I don't know. Shattered, Shattered Memories really did a great job. It was a phenomenal game, which sort of renewed my faith in the series in general. See, I, was that that one was on the Wii, wasn't it? That was the Wii one. The, it, okay, which is look, why I didn't play it. Okay. 
if you have a Wii and you are a fan of Silent Hill, and I've said this before, and I said this years ago when we first started doing the podcast, it's amazing. Go buy it for like the four or five bucks that it's going to be right now. Play it. Dust off the Wii. Do yourself a favor. It is a phenomenal use, not only of the hardware itself, but of great storytelling. And then after you're done with that, get excited about new Silent Hill games because it's coming. And then honestly, what the hell else are you going to do with your Wii? Bookshelf. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to wrap us up here uh, for the lore. Uh, again, hopefully Roger will be back with us next week because I, I don't know if I can do this uh, solo thing again. It's rather intimidating. I have big shoes to fill. And you know what they say about people with big shoes? They have smelly feet. So <laughs> join us again next week for For the Lore. Of course, find us at ForTheLore.com or on Twitter at For the Lore, and we'll see everybody then. You knew I am a psycho. When Alan Wake came out in 2010, opposite what many people considered to be the game of the year, Red Dead Redemption, sales were not what many would have liked out of a game five years in the making. Thankfully, the game built enough of a following over the months and years that developer Remedy gave us a follow-up in the form of Alan Wake's American Nightmare for Xbox Live Arcade. When last we saw Alan at the end of the first game's second downloadable content, The Writer, Alan was working on a way out of the dark place he found himself trapped in. Through the course of his adventures, Alan discovered that he had the power to alter reality through his writing, and eventually writes his escape from the dark place, if only for a brief time. He takes a small town in Arizona and warps it into a version of the fictional TV show Night Springs, a place he's familiar with and can control. Unfortunately, while Alan was trapped in the dark place, two years have passed in the real world. Alan is assumed dead, and his evil doppelganger, Mr. Scratch, has been working to release the dark presence on Earth. Alan sets out to make things right and send Mr. Scratch back where he belongs. To do so, he must gather his scattered manuscript pages with the new reality he has written and alter Night Springs to match. Doing so will bring about specific events and ultimately stop the dark presence's encroachment. It's a cool mechanic that I wish had been further explored in the game, but it's still interesting seeing the various ways the events play out. When Alan finally confronts Mr. Scratch, he doesn't have the necessary information to properly set up his new reality and is unable to defeat him. Instead of killing Alan or sending him back to the dark place, Mr. Scratch has a more devious plan in mind. In order to prevent the sun from coming up and burning away the dark presence, Mr. Scratch sets the clock back and sends Alan back to the beginning of his night. At first, this seems like a cheap way to artificially extend the length of the game, but in the twisted world of Alan Wake, it actually works. Mr. Scratch is so confident that Alan has no hope of defeating him, he's more than happy to make Alan relive his failure over and over. Additionally, it's a smart move by Remedy. It allows them to deliver a longer experience but reusing the same environments and characters allows them to save on production costs and file size, which is essential for an arcade release. Of course, Groundhog Day rules are in effect, and Alan makes each night a little better than the one before, eventually leading to Mr. Scratch's defeat. Alan Wake's American Nightmare expands on some of the things that make the first game so great. Enemy variety is a major win this time around, with splitters, ravens, and several other new enemies presenting unique challenges. The manuscript pages add so much more to the world this time, fleshing out backstories and looking at the story itself from different perspectives. 
You really want to spend time exploring the game world, and I was very disappointed when I found out I had missed a couple. However, there is one area I feel American Nightmare could have done better. Difficulty. Those new enemies are cool, but Alan's arsenal has also expanded, enabling him to dispatch the Taken with ease. Ammo is plentiful, and checkpoints are frequent. At no point did I feel the suspense that was such a big part of the original game. Still, I had an absolute blast with American Nightmare. For 15 bucks, I got an entire afternoon and evening of entertainment, as much as many full retail games these days. I enjoyed every minute of it, and I hope it sells well enough to get us a proper Alan Wake 2 sometime soon.